Well, we talked about the wedding of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to talk about the supper some, but we're going to go back just a little bit into the wedding. Because it's important for the words to be established. Certain words that we can have understanding with. Because we lose it when we don't maybe take time to digest each word. To really look at it. And to examine. Now I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it out loud. I want you to answer it up here. Will everybody be judged before they enter heaven? Will everybody be judged before they enter heaven? Everybody. Will every believer appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Some of y'all answering out loud. Okay, now. now we just used the word in that statement. Every believer. Well, every believer. And some of you are going backtracking and saying, well, every true believer. Uh, every believer will they appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Will all believers attend the wedding of the Lamb? Will all believers attend the wedding of the Lamb? Will all believers attend the wedding supper of the Lamb? Will all believers attend the wedding supper of the Lamb? Now let's dive into it a little bit. Because you got two different views over this subject, and there's more than just those two, but two main views. One of them simply is that it's the church. And we take that from the word bride, that that's the church. But if you go through the King James and you go through any of the others, you'll never find church and bride together. And therefore we exclude the judgment of others. So if it's only the church that's judged at the judgment seat of Christ, when does the judgment take place for the Old Testament saints? When does the judgment take place for those in the tribulation saints? If judgment is only for the church and there's folks going into heaven who are not being what? Judged. But if everybody's going to be judged and the only two judgments that we really have, although there's the judgment of nations and judgment of different things, but they're not the two major judgments. Your two major judgments are the judgment seat of Christ and the white throne judgment. At the judgment seat of Christ, only believers will be that. Will be at that judgment. Only believers. Now, would that include a Moses, a Abraham, a Daniel? Would that include them? They were believers. Would that include those individuals who believed during the tribulations? They believed. If every believer has to be judged for their works and their actions before they can enter into heaven, 
There's only one judgment for them. The judgment seat of Christ. Now we can conclude that very easily with the unbeliever. That there's only one judgment for all believers from beginning to end. The white throne judgment. But it's difficult for us to settle that when it comes to the believer because we have so divided ourselves. Old Testament believers, New Testament believer, tribulation believer. But yet the scripture only gives us one place for every believer to be judged. The judgment seat of Christ. If that be so, is it possible that at the wedding, and when you really look at the wedding and the supper, it is not really about the church, it's about the Lamb. The wedding of the Lamb, the supper of the Lamb. The focus is on the Lamb. On Jesus Christ. Not on the others. But on Jesus Christ. Let's go to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Because the focus is on the Lamb in both places. Pick up in verse Seven with me. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. Not the wedding of the church, not the wedding of the believer, the wedding of who? Of the Lamb. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. In some of your Bibles, yes, that was a add-in, but it's important because it's clarifying something, I believe. When it says saints, whether it be Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, tribulation saints. We paint this picture for people sometime. Here's the cross. We say the Old Testament is looking where? To the cross. Here's the cross now. We say the New Testament is looking where? Back at the cross. What I want you to see is this. Both are looking where? To the cross. Both are looking to the cross. And Jesus and his death was spoken about in the Old Testament. Not quite understood, but he was spoken about. And they were looking for a Messiah. Even confused the, the makeup of that Messiah. But they're looking for the Messiah. They're looking to the cross. New Testament looking to the cross. Those in tribulation, saints, cannot be saved without Jesus, without Jesus Christ and a confession and believing in Jesus Christ. Nothing changed about that, about how somebody will be saved. You don't get saved just because you're a martyr. You're saved based on what you believe. And he says, that fine linen, he explains to us, boy, she's made herself ready, yes, with that which she has been given, not that something she's made up of her own or developed on her own, but that fine linen, in a sense, was given to her, the church, or to the believer. And it says in that little parenthesis, if you have it in parenthesis, and some they don't have it, it simply says, 
fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts. The righteous acts of the saints. Was Abraham's actions righteous? Was Moses' actions righteous? Was Daniel's actions righteous? And you can go down to the list and you can ask. Because one author puts it this way. When we talk about saints, are we just talking about Jewish saints? Or are we just talking about Gentile saints? Are we just talking about Old Testament saints? Are we just talking about New Testament saints? Are we talking about rapture saints? Are we talking about tribulation saints? Are we talking about millennial saints? Or are we just talking about saints? And what John is talking about is just saints. That the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. One author put it this way. The saints are the believers of God's word. The saints are the believers of God's word. Now, understand this. A lot of people believe in God. They don't believe what? In his word. They believe God. They don't believe in his word. They believe there is a God. They believe that God is love. They believe God is all this and God is all that. But when it comes to living out his word, they don't believe that the word is really of God. And you cannot perform righteous acts without the word of God. Go back to Ephesians just for a moment. And we'll also see it in the Old Testament when we get back in there. Ephesians chapter 5. And, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2.10. He says, For we are God's, what? Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. You can't do good works outside of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to understand. We can't do good works that are honorable, and there comes the key part of it, honorable unto God outside of Jesus Christ. That's why he says the flesh counts for nothing. Because the flesh in and of itself, I don't care how It functions how good it is. It cannot do a work that will honor God. It has to be a work that is done through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the living God in you that flows out of you, that touches someone else's life, that honors God. And he says, boy, she's been made ready. How? With the fine linen that she has been given. Now, how is the bride made ready? Fine linen. Now, go with me to 19, verse 14. Look, could it be that this group also is represented in verse 8. Go to verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him. And I want you to just look at some armies, plural. A great multitude was following him. Now, as we get into studying Armageddon and different parts of wars, we're going to understand the saints don't do nothing but just witness what takes place. Because a word proceeds out of God's mouth, out of the Lord Jesus Christ's mouth, and the war is over with. 
We think of Armageddon as a whole bunch of battling with swords and bombs and this and that. It's just going to be a word. And you say, well, what does he need the army for? The army is to bear witness of what takes place. That's all. But look how he says the army is dressed. The armies of heaven were were following him, riding on white horses and dressed how? In fine linen. In fine linen. Now, again, could that be the bride or those that are there who are dressed in fine linen? Now, we have to come to a point to ask, could it be that all the saints who believed in God's word from the very beginning to very end are gathered? As we move into verse 9, again, the focus is not on church or anything else. The focus is on the lamb, and therefore it's called what? The lamb's, the supper of the lamb. The supper of the lamb, the wedding supper of the lamb. Not the wedding supper of the church or believers or anything else. It's focused on who? Jesus Christ. We're focused on again. So he comes in that verse 9 and he says, Then the angel said to me, Write. Now here comes our little problem. That theologians that we have and we split hairs over. He says, Blessed are those who are invited. Well, who's being invited? You have to ask that question, I believe. Who's being invited? If I'm the bride, I'm not being invited. (laughs) So we need to ask who's really being invited. I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit to see if we can answer that. Why don't you jump down to verse 10. There's an identification that says we're the same, but we're not the same. We're the same, but we're not the same. So in verse 10 it says, At this I fell at his feet to worship him. The angel who took John and showing John different parts. He identifies with John as a servant. Not as a human being. He's an angelic host. John's a human being, not an angel. But where he identifies with John is this. Don't bow down to me. You get us both in trouble. You stand up. Why? I'm your fellow servant. We both have been created to do what? Serve. Serve who? God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You stand up. And some commentaries, and it will say that these invited guests are the Old Testament saints. These invited guests are those martyrs in the time of tribulation. Others see the invited guests as those angels who wondered, why would God (laughs) have anything to do with these lower creatures called human beings? For the angels know nothing about what? Salvation. 
They know nothing about salvation. And he says to them, I'm your fellow servant. That's where he identified. He didn't say I'm a human being. He's an angel. And he says, I'm your fellow servant. We both have been created to do what? Serve the Lord. Those are the ones I would agree with more than anyone else. That anything else. That they're the invited guests. Now, go to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. And it gives us this parable about the wedding. And, and yes, we have to be careful with parables sometimes. But no unbeliever will sneak in on the wedding. No unbeliever is going to sneak in on the supper. You're supposed to be there. So in 22, in the parable of the wedding banquet, I want you to drop down with me. Uh, where do I want to go? Go to verse 9 first. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you what? You find. Now, now he sent out his invitations. His guests refused to come. He sent his servants back out to invite anybody who would come. The invitation is going out to come to Jesus, to be saved. But a lot of people are not accepting it. A lot of people are taking the invitation, just putting it down, not responding to it at all. So when an invitation to come to Jesus is given to someone, and you're witnessing to someone, and you share with them, all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ into your heart and you'll be saved and they say no they rejected the invitation to come he goes on just a little bit further now come down to verse 12 somebody has snuck in but remember he sent his servants out into the street to invite because the first ones who were invited if I keep it within the parable was the Jews (laughs) and then he went to who? The Gentiles. But then he says in that verse 12. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here? Without wedding what? What's so important about the wedding clothes? Remember what it says? That he gave them the fine what? The fine linen. That the bride knew how to dress in the fine linen of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is some of that fine linen? Righteousness of Christ. What is some of the fine linen? The justification of Christ. What's some of the fine linen? The sanctification of Christ. And you can go on and on with the fine linen that God has given to the saints to clothe themselves in. And his argument is, well, Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? Wedding clothes. Is there something about going to a wedding and being dressed in a certain... Isn't it strange how people kind of stick out when they come in with their shorts on and a basketball jersey, half-dressed? Do they kind of stand out? You can't miss them. But if you go in some place, even to a funeral dinner afterwards, leave be dressed appropriate, people won't think, <laughs> where did they come from? You know? But he was not dressed appropriately in what had been provided for him. Now, hang in there with me, because we got to deal with that area, the bride. And again, I would say to you, Boy, you never find church and bride hooked together. You find it in theory. And all the theories and a lot of the theories, you will see it. But you do not see it in scripture. 
Now, the only place you really may be able to see it in Scripture is in Ephesians chapter 5, talking about the husband loved the wife as Christ loveth the church. And because the word wife is there, the wife had to be a bride before she became a wife. And we hook those two things together. So that's the language that we use sometimes. Am I going too far, too fast? I hope not. Who's invited? And that becomes sometimes the argument between the different camps or the theologians or so forth, even pastors. Who's really invited to this wedding and supper? And because the focus is on Jesus Christ, I'm going to say... Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, tribulation saints, all who believed his word. All who believed his word. Because of this rationale, I do not find a place where Old Testament saints are judged or tribulation saints are judged unless we're all judged at the judgment seat of Christ because we believe that we're being judged for the actions of our life and believing God's word. Now, the church is distinct from Israel. That's true. But there are similarities also. Both were called saints. Both were called servants. Both, in a sense, when you read scripture, are the beloved of God. Israel, though, is called the bride more so than the church. Israel is referred to more in Scripture as bride than the church. Let's look at couple of the scriptures and we'll go from there Isaiah 48 Isaiah chapter 48 once you look at verses 17 and 18 speaking to Israel before we go over to chapter 49 he says this is what the Lord says your redeemer Is he the redeemer of all who are saved? Yes. He says, Your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best, what? For you. Now, he tells us how Israel acted towards that. Now, today, we can see the church acting like Israel. Not taking heed to the word of God. Not believing the word of God. Not acting out the word of God. And he says, If only you had paid attention to my commands. If the world would pay attention to God's commands, we wouldn't have to be worried about the abortion issue. If the world would pay attention to God's command, we wouldn't have to be worried about gun legislation. And you can go right on down the line, all those problems that we're having, that if the world would pay attention to God's commands, we wouldn't have it. If men and women would pay attention to God's word, it is not just the woman. I had a young lady called me from Akron University, and she was asking this question. She said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? She said, what do you really think about Roe versus Wade? Now, the pastor had asked me that question just a few hours earlier. Now this young student from Akron U is calling me, and she said, women are always being attacked. And they're being blamed for things. When men won't take their responsibility. And my question back to her was, where was your responsibility when a woman lays down with a man? Don't you also have responsibility? 
Shouldn't you have a certain value about yourself? A certain respect about yourself? God expects both to be virgins. The man and the woman. Now men take women like the old gunfighters put notches on their gun. Men somewhat put notches on their sex gun. But women got to have enough respect and pride for themselves to say no. And understand what God's word says. Sex outside of marriage is sin. Period. And if we were to follow that, what a difference it would make in our world. And he says... If only you had paid attention to my commands. Now listen to the clothing. Your peace would have been like a river. Your righteousness like the waves of the sea. A continuation. You ever see the waves roll in? They just what? Constantly are rolling in. Your righteousness would have just been kept coming. The peace would have just kept coming. Now go over to uh, 49 and verse 18. Listen to what the Lord says. Pick up in verse 14 with me. But Zion said the Lord has forsaken me. Now Zion says that, not the Lord. But Zion said the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby, the baby at her breast and has no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms where of my hands. God has written his children on the palm of his hands. He'll never forget you. He knows your name. He goes on and he says, your walls are ever before me. Your son has hastened back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around, all your sons gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. You will wear fine linen. You will wear. Who's providing it? God is. You will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a what? Like a bride. Because he's providing. Go over to Isaiah 61.10. 61. Verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoice in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of what? Salvation. Look at the clothing again. And arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head with a priest. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Again referring to who? Israel. But who's? Doing the providing of it. Now, go with me to Hosea. Come on, Daniel. Hosea chapter 2. Go to verse 19. I will betroth. A betrothal was the future bride. I will betroth you to me for how long? Forever. Not just for a season. Not just during the time of a change. From old to new. You are betrothed to me forever. Israel. 
I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Go over again to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22. And you can read down to verse 33 if you want to, but the acknowledged thing is the husband and the wife. Wife, submit to your husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now here comes the illustration, the part of it. As Christ is the head of the church, his body in which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. And we take that then as the bride, the church being the bride, as the wife is the bride of the husband, and we make that also the bride of the church. Now, you hear say, oftentimes you hear me say, that the church is the bride of Christ, based on the fact that it's a marriage. But what we need to understand, and I think what we miss is this here. God is inclusive. When he speaks of the bride, it's not just one group, the church. I think he's including all the saints of the ages. I think he's including all who have ever believed his word. Why? Because I see nowhere else where those others are being judged or dealt with. Now, go to Revelation in closing here. Revelation 21. I believe here he puts the two together in a sense. In verse 9, one of the seven angels who had seven bows full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Sometimes those two words, because there's a comma there and there's a stopping in the Greek. The bride, okay, that could be the church. In the Old Testament, the wife was oftentimes referred to as who? Israel. The wife of God was Israel. And when God talks about writing a divorce, who was he writing a divorce to? Israel. Not to the church, but as Israel, his wife, he was writing a degree of divorce or separation because of their action. Or it can be taken, here's the bride, all those saints who have been gathered together who obeyed God's word and believed are his bride, who becomes his wife. Because the bride usually becomes the what? The wife. One more step now. He takes us to a place in this text Not the Gentiles, but Jewish. He says, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Then verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Jews have always been tied to what? Jerusalem. Not the church, but Jews. 
But I think they're all together here. I think they're all together in the army when it's called the saints who are dressed in fine linen. I think they're all together here in the area of the bride and the wife, all believers who believe God's word. And then when you close out in chapter 22 and verse 17, it doesn't say the church, it doesn't say New uh, Old Testament, it doesn't say uh, those going through tribulation, it uses one word to identify God's people. In verse 17, the spirit and the bride says what? Come. And I don't think the bride is just the church. I think that's all inclusive believers from beginning to end. All those who obeyed God's word, who answered God's word, make up that bride. All who believe. And sometimes we conclude it is only the church that is the bride. Then you have to answer the question, what happens to the Old Testament saints? What happened to tribulation saints? And you have to ask this question, did they not believe? And if your answer that they believed, then it's all believers who are being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. It is all believers who are at the marriage of the Lamb. It is all believers who is at the supper of the Lamb. It is all believers, not just one little group and the others totally excluded because there's no answer for them. And that's our puzzlement sometimes and the argument between the two groups and the two different views that come about. But what we need to be sure of, and let me close with this, we need to be sure of this, and you need to know it for sure, and hang on to it. One, there's going to be a rapture of the church. Two, Jesus Christ is coming back to meet his church in the air. And then he's coming back the second time when his feet are going to stand on earth and the millennium is going to be here for a thousand years in which he's going to reign. We need to hold tight and believe to that. We need to believe, yes, there's going to be a gathering of all the saints, whether it be at the wedding or at the supper. Both of those things are going to happen, but all the saints at some point are going to gather with the Redeemer, with the Savior. And we all need to understand, all believers, I don't care what ethnic background, what color you may be, what language you may speak, we're going to be with him in heaven. Amen? Now, there's a lot of questions we may have sometime in between things, but let's keep digging. Let's keep searching. Let's keep trying to answer it. I read all the theories and, and I enjoy reading because those men are thinking things through. But there's only one book that I can really rely on. It's called the Bible. We go back to that. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for ministering to us. And would you continue, Lord, to just Show us different things as we travel through this book of Revelation and deal with different issues in Revelation. And Lord, would you cause us, Lord, to have itching ears that, Lord, we want to go back into your book and hear from your spirit speaking to us as we do our studies at home, as we research things. Just don't take what Pastor Brown said, but go and search it out. Seek it out. Pray over it. Lord, teach me your word. Teach me, Lord. Let me not be ignorant of your word. And Lord, 
Let me wear that fine linen. That, Lord, it's the righteous actions of God that follows through with your word. Lord, minister to us, I pray. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
what was just sung. Death could not what? Do you really believe that? If you really believe that, how does that belief change your life? If you really believe he's living and death cannot hold him down, what effect does that have on your life? He that hath this hope in him that he liveth purifies himself. Father, thank you for ministering to us even in song. May we be a people who take it to heart what your word declares and what we've heard in song that death couldn't hold him down and that he lives and because he lives we live differently. We live as the saints of the living God. Minister to us, Lord. Let no one leave this place without something, attitude, thinking, heart, something being changed by the Holy Spirit. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.